sonrisa que ha pasado por su casa, que ha venido porque quiere ser feliz. Good morning. Welcome to Tom's World Language Cafe, coming to you live from Fishers, Indiana. It's a beautiful day here at the beginning of February, and we are um, in the north side of Indianapolis, a little town called Fishers. And uh, the show actually uh, will be broadcast from the, bo the bottom of Pikes Peak there at the studio at the University of Colorado in Colorado Springs. And we want to thank all the folks there at Colorado, University of Colorado and Colorado Springs, including um, the faculty and the students uh, who put on such a great program uh, there at the radio station, such a variety of programs. And it's uh, the university we know has been recognized for many awards for their online radio shows. So uh, also would like to thank Marge Mystery, who no longer is with us. Uh, for her help in organizing the show, and Kyle Boyle, the radio station manager. Today we have a special guest, and, it's, and her name is Jill Warner, and Jill is um, the Global Learning and World Language Specialist for the state of Indiana, and we are delighted that she's on our show. And she's going to share some of uh, her many, many um, experiences that she has, probably, I'm sure, on a daily basis, uh, with a variety of people in the field of world languages. Jill, good morning. Good morning, Tom. Thank you so much for the invitation to join you well, on your show. You're most welcome. Thank you for being on the show. And it's a pleasure to have you in the show. Um, so today, it's a, it's a Monday. And could you, uh, well, first of all, could you tell the audience a little bit about your job and what it is and your duties and and what a typical day may be like, even though they're probably not very typical, right? Sure. So as the Global Learning and World Languages Specialist for the Indiana Department of Education, um, I wear multiple hats, as most people do in the field of education. Um, and just being at the state level is no different in that regard. So. Um, one of my primary roles is that of support and providing professional development for the field of world languages. So teachers of all different languages from kindergarten all the way up through um, graduation for our high school students and also even serving there as a bridge to our university partners as well. Um, with that, I support and have recently launched what's called the Certificate of Multilingual Proficiency which in many other states is called the Seal of Biliteracy, and I'm sure we'll talk about that more here in a little bit. Um, I work through the grant program that we are blessed to have, um, at least for these past two years, to get a pilot program started for dual language and immersion programs throughout the state, where students in kindergarten and first grade are learning world language through um, their academic content and instruction. Um, at least 50% of their day. So that's a very exciting initiative, um, and we're very excited about that one. One of my other hats is as a support person and a person who delivers professional development for our English learner teachers and staff throughout the state. Um, so that is a, a different population of students who comes to us and um, with languages other than English as their primary language, and when they join our schools, gaining proficiency.
efficiency and push is one of the skills that they add on to their courses. So supporting the staff that works directly with those students is certainly um, an important one, and I'm happy to have that under under my belt as part of the work that I do. And then the final hat that I wear, I think, is the one that's probably most nebulous out there to the field, which is that of global learning. And this is one where, in so many ways, I support every aspect of education, um, from the moment kids walk through the door until the moment they graduate and beyond, in helping every content area, teacher, every administrator, every district level, supervisor, etc., to understand the importance of the infusion of global initiatives and global competency and understanding of other cultures um, in everything that students do and how the other cultures and languages and all of those pieces around the world impact the learning for kids. And if we want to have global-ready graduates in 12th grade, we've got to start very early in those initiatives to helping kids understand that the the world is bigger than um, their small town or their city or the state that they come from. Now, is the let's go back for a minute. So, I'll review then. But you have a lot of things to do, don't you? Whoa, <laughs> a lot of things. Well, yes. it's, it's good that you're able to do those things, and that the state of Indiana has seen it important enough to to let you do those things. That, that's very, very encouraging. Immediately, uh, so there is. Um, when you talk about world languages, so you're, you work with world language teachers, you work with the ESL or is it EFL? EFL it's called, isn't it? Or what is it called? Well, now they've kind of changed the language to call it English Learner. So, ELA, um, right? Or something? ELA? Or, yeah, well, just English, so EL. EL. All right. It's just EL now, right? EL. Okay. So the English uh, Learner. So you have that. Then you have the global learning uh, initiative, which impacts every discipline then, right? I mean, is that, yep. I'm assuming you like to get global initiatives going in math class, in yeah. English classes, right? Yeah. Now, when you say that, does that mean like we're talking maybe a little student travel with that? Um, it, it, it's a lot of things. Um, for example, we, um, my predecessor in this role, I'm blessed to follow in her footsteps because she was very forward-thinking um, and was able to secure a grant so we could move forward with a project um, in updating what's called the Internationalized Indiana Academic Standards. And so as one element of kind of globalizing a curriculum, you can take our Indiana Academic Standards and look at these documents and they will go through kindergarten math standards, for example, or social studies or science or English language arts. And they will give you examples on how to integrate internationalized content and ideas in every class that a student would take from kindergarten through 12th grade. Um, that's at the most basic level of that internationalized component for global learning. Um, on the other end of that spectrum is just as you suggested, Tom, international travel for students. And there's such a range of activities that students and teachers can participate in throughout that, you know, throughout that spectrum um, to help provide opportunities and exposure for students to the world. Now, you work with um, all levels of, well, 
levels of instruction. So you could one day be working in elementary school with elementary language teachers or elementary teachers of a discipline. Then in the afternoon, you might be with a high school teacher, right? Tomorrow, the day after, you might be with college teachers. Is that correct? For the most part, yes. Every day is different, and I support teachers from all levels. Um, my interaction with university personnel is primarily um, focused around pre-service teachers and how to cultivate uh, a culture of, of highly trained, ready-to-go pre-service teachers and also how to collaborate with one another, both the universities and the Department of Education, yes. to, to help facilitate ideas for in-service teachers. Now, one of the topics, and, and I didn't mention this earlier when we were chatting, but way, way back in 1979, uh, I had written an article for, um, I'm glad we're talking about this a little bit, because uh, I did an article on the articulation between levels of, mm -hmm. of learning, especially languages, world languages. And one of the things we found out was we, we, we did, we were talking about elementary to middle school to high school to college. And we found out there wasn't a lot of articulation going on. And, uh, and I think what you're doing would really help with all that, you know, that, there, that you've really got an eye on this from what you I, I gathered. But the, there needs to be more collaboration, right, between all these levels, I think, uh, yeah. of instruction. And a lot of times uh, there are problems that arise when, when there is very little articulation. And I'm not sure, for example, that many elementary teachers or high school teachers, middle school teachers or college teachers even know how the level below them or above them goes, but how, what goes on there. And I think what you're doing sounds like it would be wonderful, you know, to, to, with that type of thing, you know, that there's a lot of that that you're able to help with. Um, so you would help anybody in any private school, private schools like charter schools, Catholic mm -hmm. schools, uh, yep. public schools, everybody you have to deal with. Wow. So you have, you have a long day, right? That's, that's, <laughs> but that's good. I mean, that's that's wonderful that the, the position exists. And you were referring to your predecessor. I'm trying to remember her name. What was it? Um, her last Katarina name? Blitzer. What was it again? Katarina Blitzer. Yeah, Blitzer. Right, right, right. And she'd been there a while, right? I mean, she had been there. What? Yeah, she had been there for a few years um, prior to my arrival at the department. So, and she retired, um, which is what opened up the position to allow me to. Right. To, take on that role. Now, can you tell the listeners about the, um, that your proficiency, uh, program, you know, the certificate, how does that, how does that work? Yeah. Well, thank you for asking. Um, it's, we recently launched it. Um, what I have learned in this role is, you know, how legislation sometimes takes longer than we'd like it to, um, to get to that, that full implementation. But I'm very excited that this is something that we can offer to students throughout the state. Um, and this is actually happening in many other states throughout the country. Um, although in other states it is called the seal of biliteracy. So it does have a little bit of a different name here in Indiana, but it is ultimately the same thing. And what the Certificate of Multilingual Proficiency is doing is it is a, it's putting out there a system of recognition for students who can show that they have proficiency 
in English and another language. So this is both a benefit to our world language students who are working hard each and every day in their classrooms to um, learn about the culture and language of another society, but also for our English learner students who come to us with proficiency in their home language. And as they gain proficiency in English, both of these groups are able to um, be celebrated for what they've been able to achieve so that workplaces, if a student chooses upon graduation to move into the workplace immediately, they're going to have a certificate to validate their proficiency levels with future employers. And the same thing to show to universities around the country and internationally as well, to be able to say that this is my proficiency level um, in both English and another language. And so it's a wonderful celebration of that learning. Wonderful, wonderful idea. That's, that's fascinating. Um, yeah. Now, to get this, how would the students get that? Do they, it's, so there would be a test? and Yeah, well, the, first, the, the schools have to, um, because there's some data with all of this, and there has to be some oversight, the schools and the school districts have to kind of opt in to say, yes, this is something that they want to offer to their students. Um, and we've made it uh, as simple as possible. Um, to encourage schools to opt in and get this moving and celebrate their students' achievements. Um, but from the student perspective, what they would need to do is make sure their teachers and counselors are aware of their intentions to pursue the certificate. Um, there's a credit, a number of credits that students have to earn in their English language arts classes and also in their world language classes. Um, and then there's an assessment for both English and the world language. So in English, that is the assessment that is utilized um, that students would already be taking to show that they're ready for graduation, that they have those requisite skills in language arts. Um, and then for the world language, we've provided a list of uh, numerous exams that have been approved by the State Board of Education to um, facilitate the the assessment of students' proficiency in the world language. And we have over, over 90 languages are represented from that assessment list um, so that we can try and encompass as many students as we can, whether it's a home language or a world language that they've been studying, um, that they'll be eligible for the certificate. So just a beautiful idea. And uh, how long has this been going on then? Is it, is it just recent? It's very recent, right? It's it's, well, it's, the legislation was actually passed, um, it came into effect in July 1st of 2015, but it took us about 18 months to move it forward through getting all of the requisite signatures and going through public comment and so on and so forth for the rulemaking, which is a step that I've learned in my, in my current role, um, is a very important piece because it's what gives that code that schools and administrators follow that they build into their handbooks and so on and so forth for the rules and guidance that schools operate with. And so we, um, the final step after all of those signatures were gained was that we took, I took the list of assessments to our State Board of Education on January 11th. And as soon as they approved that list of assessments, uh, we were 100% ready to go. So everything went live on the website that same day and announcements were sent out to thousands of educators on that day to make sure everybody is aware of the program. And we've been sending out messages, messaging ever since. 
be beautiful, beautiful idea. Just fascinating. And congratulations on just a wonderful, wonderful idea. Uh, back to the your your background now. Tell us a little bit about your family and uh, where you uh, were raised, etc. Are you from Indiana then? Yeah, I'm actually from a very small town in Indiana, just southwest of Indianapolis. Um, you know, I graduated with a whopping 99 other people, so we were a, a, a giant school. In so it was, wasn't it Monrovia? Yes. Monrovia and the reason I know that is because I know your Spanish teacher was such a fascinating, wonderful teacher, uh, Luisa Legrado, right? And yes. uh, I know you were one of her... Uh, her proudest accomplishments, she always talks about you. And I don't know if you know that, but she does. And uh, uh, I know she's very proud of you. So, uh, and, uh, uh, but uh, certainly uh, lucky to have a wonderful teacher like that, right? I mean, to be able to study with Louisa. And yeah. uh, just a wonderful, wonderful teacher. And well, and I had a unique opportunity with Louisa. Not only was I her student, but she changed schools after I had her as a teacher. And so after I went to the university level and chose to study secondary Spanish education, I ended up doing my student teacher, my student teaching with Louisa. And so our paths have continued to, to cross. cross. So, well, that's so, a good place yeah. to be. Now, did you, now where did you do your uh, undergraduate work? And in, in, in it was teaching of Spanish, right? Yes, the secondary ed um, in Spanish. And I did that at Purdue University. So, so uh, was Alan there at that time, Garfinkel? No. Yes, Alan was very active um, during my years at Purdue oh, and so was a wonderful mentor to have, yeah. uh, you know, with all of our intercambios that he would have, yeah. that we would um, get professors and, and other folks talking in the dining halls as we were freshmen um, with everybody. Yeah, speaking. Alan was the champion of ideas, wasn't he? He, yeah. he had an idea for every day of the week and beyond. It's yeah, he's a great, great guy. Uh, the um, uh, I don't know if you know it. My son got his degree there, his doctorate under Allen in uh -huh. foreign language education back in the days when you know that was um, quite popular in those days. And but he got his degree in foreign language education. And uh, so, but at any rate, um, you so you've been you were in the, uh, you you did that work. Then did you did work what in administration for a while, right? Yep, I did. So after um, 10 years of teaching Spanish and, um, you know, going through kind of that teacher of the year process in Indiana and central states and uh, being on the platform at ACTFL, um, I did take that leap after completing my master's degree at Anderson University in educational leadership and administration, and I became a school administrator in Zionsville. And so that was a very, very different um, pathway in the education realm, but it was an important piece for me because, you know, one of my goals has always been to grow the interest and enthusiasm for world language study. And so I felt like I was being successful with that as a classroom teacher um, and as an advocate in the, in the professional development organization realm, uh, both in the region and in the state. And so it, it seemed like a natural continuation for me to move into the realm of, of administration. And so I had the great fortune of being that um, kind of professional development organizer, but also evaluator for the world language staff at the schools where I 
worked, and um, it was a great way to further develop those teachers and their language skills and just really celebrate the skills that they brought to the table as well. And so the, um, uh, can you tell the listeners about Central States? Because you did a lot of work with Central States, uh, and you were the Central States Teacher of the Year, I think, right? One, one there. And you were, you were also, uh, you did a lot of work and committee work, and then did you, you served on the, the board, right, I think? I did. So I've, I've worn a few hats with them, but Central States is an organization. It's called the Central States Conference on the Teaching of Foreign Languages. And it is an organization that is focused around building um, a conference, which is they call it the Friendly Conference. Um, and it supports 14 different states throughout the central region of the United States um, and a, a wide variety of professional development opportunities for them through that conference affiliation. And so every year, the second week of March, um, there is a, a wonderful three-day conference that happens with uh, workshops, uh, advocacy sessions, and um, learning in that regard. And a lot of networking happens. Uh, everything from, you know, putting together events for NEL, the National Network for Early Language Learning, to organizing things for the district supervisors in the region who can talk about their struggles and their needs and their successes um, at the supervisory level for world language studies. So, um, so it's a wonderful networking opportunity and. And some of the hats I wore, you know, were helping to bring that conference to Indiana in 2011, um, but also to to serve on the on the board of directors. And so one of those is I worked with the finance committee and I organized the conference and put together the program when it was held in Wisconsin. So lots of different hats uh, with Central States. So it's certainly a conference that's near and dear to my heart. So and I'm actually back on the board for Central States. <laughs> you never rest. <laughs> yeah, that's good. No, I don't. That's good. I took, that's on good. A new, I took on a new role starting well, January 1st. It's better to so. be busy, don't you think? I mean, that's yeah. That's just good that you're, you know that you're doing it and you know sharing your expertise is wonderful. Um, now, do you uh, back? Let's talk about Axel because you've been you've yep. done a lot at Axel too, right? Well, that is um, you know I did some things with Axel, but. Now is the time I'm getting much more involved with ACFL because my new role with Central States that started January 1st, I am the Central States Regional Representative to ACFL. So that makes me a member of the Board of Directors for ACFL. And ACFL is the American Council on the Teaching of Foreign Languages, and I'm very, very excited to um, be involved in that work and that advocacy for languages. Well, that will help a lot, right, the fact that you're doing that, I mean, as far as using your experience, and ACFEL can profit from that, right? I mean, yes. that, that's going to yes. be wonderful for them, you know, that you, they're able to profit from, you know, those experiences. Um, yeah. So I'm anticipating a truly beneficial relationship, yes. just for me on the learning side to learn more on the national platform, but also, um, you know, hoping to help them from the regional and statewide side as well. Now, do you have... Um, Back to Actwell for a little bit. Um, now, back when we had the five C's, etc., and we've kind of had an evolution of that, I guess. Uh, but it's still important, isn't it? The five C's, I suppose. You know, yep. the, the basic, 
again, a pretty basic things, but, but it's still important. Um, I, I was quite interested. I've been reading quite a bit about the, uh, the, the products and the uh, uh, perspectives and the practices of culture. You know, and how that was dealt with. That was well done, wasn't it? How they dealt with that, Ackville, and uh, in the teaching of culture, the, how important that became, right? Yeah. And uh, now, is that still going on? I mean, is that they're pretty much still th- those particular things are pretty heavy in the culture, right? Is still, I mean, yep. like the pra- products, practices, and the uh, perspective. Those yep. are still pretty much a part of the culture aspect, right? Yeah, very much so. Um, And in fact, they have built some rubrics um, that will help teachers be able to assess intercultural competence with students and how they have kind of internalized some of those, those things that they have learned as they have studied those products and practices and perspectives from a variety of cultures. Is that something that should be embedded in that daily study of languages? And I guess that must have been an evolution then, right, from the big C, little C culture, where people would try to talk about it, but then there would always be some little dispute, you know, well, is this big C, is this little C culture, et cetera. But the the actual three Ps, and I guess, really helped, didn't it, from that standpoint? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, it, I think it helps world language teachers have a concept of of how, I mean, I think they know how all of those aspects of culture intertwine, but it was nice to have some language around it to be able to share with their students and, and put it in an accessible way so they knew how to track their progress and their students' progress as well. Exactly. What about the study of world language today in Indiana and around the country? Is it... Um, it seems to be holding its own, and in some places, increasing, right? Um, you know, it's it's hard to say. I would say it's certainly increasing, but it's, it's changing. Um, you know, it, without having numbers or statistics in front of me of, about, you know, the exact numbers of where everything is, the one thing I can definitely say is there's a huge movement for what's considered dual language immersion. And that is that study of world language, um, but not as a world language. It is that infusion of instruction that's delivered in another language. So students are studying science and social studies and language arts in another language. So for at least 50% of their day or more, up to 90 or 100% of their school day, students are For example, in Spanish, they may have science, social studies, and Spanish language arts in the morning, and then in the afternoon, they have English language arts and math, Um, and they're special. Some of them are taught in English, and some of them are taught in Spanish, and so it's a very different approach to the acquisition of language, and it's starting with kids who are so moldable and so open to um, just the acceptance of language as is, and they're so able to acquire a very natural sounding accent for whatever the target language is. And so, so from the idea of growth, I'd say more than anything, that is the area that we're seeing growth of language um, because it's now being taught from um, the kindergarten level and these programs are growing. So each year, 
if the program started at kindergarten, as that group of kindergartners becomes first graders, they will expand the program to include first grade and then second and so on. And so that, you know, in 10, 12 years from now, we're going to have a very, very strong population of speakers who are proficient, highly proficient in both English and another language, whatever language their school which chose is, to implement. Yeah, language. Which is really good news. That's wonderful news. Um, what about the, the students today? How bilingual are most students? Um, are they, do they become proficient, uh, fluent in their language? Let's say they take um, four or five years in high school, they take an elementary, middle school. Uh, how fluent do they become? And is this a, a fairly high percentage of students or is it a small percentage? I, and the reason I always think back, and I think it's probably still somewhat the same, that uh, many of the classes in high school, the teachers I talked to, uh, in many schools, that the, the population in, well, the world language study, uh, there's a lot of people in level one and two, and then it, it really tails off in levels three and four. Is that still pretty prevalent around the country, or...? Um, well, I don't necessarily have the data around the country. I mean, a lot of that data is kept kind of at the school district level and at each individual high school. But there's so many factors that contribute to um, that that question right there. So, for example, um, you know, there when you want to talk about a student's proficiency level, because world language is not one of those content areas where there's a, a state assessment very hard to determine, well, what is their proficiency level after they've taken X number of years in the language throughout middle school or high school, and if they were lucky enough to have an elementary program, you know, that carried them through. So without some sort of assessment, it's hard to gauge that because, um, you know, and it also depends on how teachers are teaching the language. You know, there's a, a huge focus that has come from ACTFL, and it's been over the past 10 to 15 years, of really thinking about and being intentional about target language use by the teacher and by the students within the classroom. And so, and, and this may sound really funny, but we actually, you know, I see teachers on occasion that are teaching French, but they're doing it in English. And so you think about those students and one of their primary goals once they get into a French class or a German class or a Spanish class or, or whatever language they chose to take, you know, they want to leave the class speaking. Well, it's hard for them to have something to, the tools to actually speak if they're not hearing the language and having an opportunity to soak in that language from, from all areas of the classroom. And that, that starts with the teacher and the materials that the teacher puts in front of them. So. So that push is is exactly, it's directly tied to the Certificate of Multilingual Proficiency that we spoke about earlier in helping to build that idea of proficiency among the students. And so teachers have to be intentional about using authentic materials and instead of, you know, just a very, very structured vocabulary list, um, making sure that students can be owners of their language and their language usage and um, they have some say in what they're learning and how they're learning it and how they're going to use it. They have opportunities to engage with authentic audiences. So 
so teachers connecting with teachers from other countries and having partner classrooms or engaging in um, you know electronic pen pal sorts of situations so that kids connect with kids and can use the language in very very realistic and authentic contexts and to make sure that when teachers are you know, working with students in that everyday context of a classroom that is proficiency focused. And I'm really excited that we have the certificate now that comes with those external assessments because I think it's going to give us much better data to really yes, look at what the proficiency levels are for kids yes. as they complete their programs. Yes. And uh, the, uh, in defense of teachers, I think there's... Yeah. There's so many different things that go on, though, around the country. There are some schools where you can do the TPR and get by with it, and you have really gifted students, maybe, or small classes. And then you go to another school where the teacher might have 30 students and beginning-level classes, out of which uh, the academic uh, abilities are not very high, let's say. And for them to do the whole TPR thing just wouldn't go, right? And it doesn't go. And so that's, I think that's the, sometimes becomes the issue of how the programs get set up. And like you said, uh, you know, the, it, it's a challenge. And in some places, not so much. But other places, I think it's a big, big challenge. And, uh, you know, how they, the, the things get set up and if, if it can be delivered, given the environment of the, the for teaching. And uh, that, that part of it, I think, is still a major, major challenge, and and I don't know, or uh, the other thing is the goals as well, you know, the, like the teaching the culture, uh, it's very difficult to teach culture, like if you're in the target language, in level one, and it becomes yeah. a real challenge, and then if you want to give the kids some real meaty culture, it's hard to do unless you go to English, right? So I think all these things come into play, you know, with with proficiency and, and like you said, how hard it is to measure it, right? Because uh, in in and things because of that. But um, um, now this, what about this? Um, these other languages? We I know you're really in. We've got Spanish, French, we have German, we have Latin. But why is it important to also be studying? other languages and which ones what are some of the other languages that could be studied um, in, in Indiana I know there's a lot of them now right yep yep I mean students could study Arabic uh, they could study probably one of the most the most the one that's growing quite a bit we have both Mandarin and American Sign Language um, those are both languages that are growing tremendously in Indiana um, Japanese is available Russian is available um, they, they may not be easily found in classrooms throughout Indiana, but they are out there um, in some schools around in Indiana. Um, and, you know, honestly, we would welcome other languages as well. I mean, if the school wanted to get something started, you know, we can work with them to, to institute that language in their school because ultimately language study is going to help move students along to becoming a Global Ready graduate. And so, you know, they're going to learn the culture. They're going to learn those interpersonal interactions um, with others. And, and not only does that benefit them on a global context, but the interpersonal skills that they learn through taking a world language class helps them in their everyday interactions. Um, and that's why you see a lot of people that 
once they've had significant world language training, they're, they're the leaders. They're the leaders on their teams. They're the leaders in their buildings if they become educators because they learn a confidence and they learn just a skill set on how to interact with other humans on, on a personal level. And they're very good communicators in that regard. So when it comes to the values of studying a language, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say, yes, they need to take this one. I'm going to say, you just need to take one and, and start from there and move forward um, and learn it well. Well said. Beautiful, beautifully said. Um, what about this, um, um, the strategies for language teaching? Um, are there, are there any that are better or worse or whatever? We do know, as you said, the TPR, of course, uh, in, in the days when I was at the, at the high school level, we called it, um, I forget what we call it, but we didn't call it TPR, but we actually would do everything in the language uh, mm -hmm. and didn't have the materials that they have today because they have such really good readers and a lot of great readers out there and things. So, uh, but we did uh, do pretty much, but the books actually uh, were, were all in, in, in the language uh, pretty much. And then we had, but then we kind of changed. There was another move after that. And uh, now we're back to, I think, to the TPR, the total immersion business. And uh, uh, are there, do you have any strategies you think that are better than others or? Um, well, I, I'm not going to, like advocate for a specific program, you know, using a textbook or going textbook free or going TPR or TPRS or, or any of those sorts of things. But, but what I can say is it's, it's so important for students to have input in the target language. And that, but that doesn't just come from the teacher. So, I mean, if you want to talk about TPRS, that's one method of getting some target language to students. But you have to make sure that they're they're hearing language from multiple sources, so from the teacher, from, um, you know, whether it's podcasts or, you know, videos or, you know, with technology, we have access to so many more authentic resources in the language that we did not have 20 years ago. And so, you know, the world is really at our fingertips and, and at the tip of our mouth to be able to provide those things to our students. So... So first and foremost, if you want to talk strategies, I would say to, to be very intentional about making sure that the, the elements that are provided and put in front of students, both from you know, teacher delivery to actual materials, they are as authentic as possible. Because even at the first year level, there's so much culture that can, can be discussed and can be noticed from a single photograph, from a single menu from a single birthday invitation in the target culture. Um, there are just things that are part of each and every one of those authentic resources that can prompt some amazing discussions from students um, from very early levels of language learning. So, so talking strategies, I would say, making sure that you know there's, there's target language, both in the materials and the delivery from um, the audio perspective, but also making sure that students have an opportunity to really engage and use the language every day. So, and not in a rote, memorized context, but in a, in a, in a free-flowing, natural way 
And that sounds very nebulous, but in so many ways, no, it's, you know, it's that's well, what everyday interaction it's, is. It's well said. It's not nebulous. Well said. It's perfectly said. Not nebulous at all. And very important, as you said. The role of technology. Now, we talked about, um, well, for example, we're doing this uh, uh, radio show via Skype. Um, so, uh, and you mentioned about uh, the global pen pal thing and, and different things and Skype, of course, with with schools one-on-one, to, you know, back, uh, crossing the continents, etc. But yeah. um, what the, the daily use of technology, and, I, and I've talked to some teachers about this, and some of them have a, a struggle trying to incorporate it and not do too much and yet to do enough, right? And yeah. uh, so are we headed in an all-tech situation where eventually the everything's going to be on the computer uh, or on the iPads or whatever? And uh, are, are we going to get there or are we going to still have uh, live one-on-one human-to-human instruction? And that... There are a lot of teachers out there that I've talked to that are concerned about that. They they kind of are concerned about, well, we still want to have live instruction. We want the kids to speak to one another in the language and, and do things uh, that, that are live and not, not all um, maybe the, 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 via the iPad or computer, whatever. So how is that going to be bridged? Is there going to be a way to do that, you think? Um, that is a great question. And if I had a crystal ball, I would tell you what the future has in store for all of us. But what I, what I see right now, and at least in our near future, is that idea of blending, you know, blended instruction. So both, you have to have some aspect of the teacher. Um, the teacher is a crucial part of world language instruction. Now, the role of the teacher has shifted a little bit over time, you know, in the past 10 to 20 years. It has changed from, you know, that direct instruction concept where a teacher is the primary deliverer of language to teacher is a facilitator of making sure students are going the right direction and, you know, kind of coaching in some ways um, to put the right things in front of kids and move them forward and guide them and so on and so forth. But the teacher is still a crucial, crucial element of that instruction for world languages because I I have a hard time imagining how students are going to be wonderful interpersonal communicators if they've not been actually communicating on an interpersonal level with the teacher and with other students. So, yes. so from my perspective, I have a very difficult time believing that that's going to go away, and I, I would hate to see that if that component of the world language field disappeared in any way, shape, or form because it's crucial. But when we talk about the integration of technology, there's both two sides of that. The first is the student um, connection to other students and students' access to, um, to resources. And I think if teachers are using technology strategically, then they are using it to bring in more authentic materials into the classroom. They're using it as a, a recording device for so students can see their own growth and proficiency from August to December and then to May. So they can hear what they were able to do at the beginning of the year, the middle of the year, and the end of the year. Um, you know, they can use that to pair up students 
um, to have interpersonal interactions, even if one student is sitting in the classroom and one student is sitting in the hallway and they're using technology to interact with one another, they can't see the body language of the other student and so they're forced to use their language to, to interact yes. in an interpersonal context. So it has so much potential to bridge so much of that, but it still requires the use of a teacher. And the other aspect of technology is the teacher-to-teacher -teacher connection and just making sure that teachers are using technology in a strategic fashion to keep their skills up, um, listening to podcasts and connecting with teachers in other countries, um, as well as to network with teachers in neighboring school corporations. That's important, too, because what one teacher has been able to do and accomplish, you know, what better person to go to to share and, and, and celebrate, you know, this great project or the turnout of this, um, this great thing that they implemented in class to benefit all kids. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not sure that goes on near enough, as you just said. And one of the next questions or discussion topics that we're going to talk about a little bit is the articulation between the levels, elementary, yeah. middle, high school, college. And uh, I think that uh, comes into play here as well. And that is the, the teachers, unfortunately, though, don't have time, like the, the articulation factor, for, for somebody to go from middle school to high school or to exchange classes with a middle school teacher, high school. Uh, doesn't take a lot, but it still takes planning, they have to get there, etc., or to go out to the local colleges and visit and vice versa for the college professors. Uh, it does take some doing, but it can be done. It, it definitely can be done uh, if the priorities are there, which unfortunately, and, and I think this is true in the whole country, but um, over the years, we still have a huge problem of articulation, you know, at, at the national level. And, and, and that is, uh, I, and, I, and I think it's probably logistics maybe. Sometimes I think it's the fact that we, we, it doesn't get articulated enough that uh, uh, teachers, and I, and I say this pretty much because I, I, I did the middle school, high school, college teaching, et cetera. But I saw all the, the things that go happen that, that should have happened that didn't happen, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, with things that came before, right? or in, in some cases after. But there needs to be some way that we can understand each other and to see how people are, are, are doing things in different ways. And, and every teacher has their own style, thank goodness, and that's wonderful, and, and thank God for that. So, But we, there needs to be uh, maybe even at a national level some effort to, to do this articulation better because it... Um, really needs some work and uh, and I think we everybody would understand each other better you know from a standpoint of you know understanding the problems somebody has teaching and the good things they do and what we could learn off as you mentioned earlier the good things that teachers do by by going and seeing the people in their districts and etc cetera, etc cetera. and even with technology today that would be a beautiful thing to do with technology I mean just thinking that you, one could probably go to a school, you could do, uh, you could visit and talk to the teachers at another level, even without, if, if you even weren't even observing their classes, you could at least talk to how they teach and different things. And, uh, and then maybe from there, there could be some advancement where people would observe classes, et cetera, and, and get a feel for how, how people teach. 
And I think what you said is so important that earlier on about seeing other people and their teaching and their styles, you know, it's just incredibly important. But anyway, that's uh, enough said about that. The only reason I say that is I haven't, I never saw a lot of, a lot of improvement over the years that, you know, all the way back to 1979 that we, you know, we never, we tried at uh, IFLTA uh, for several years, we tried to do that. And, and it was like pulling teeth. And I, I, I don't know what the answer is, but there's got to be an answer somewhere to it. Now, that said, which has nothing to do with what your, your answer is going to be for articulation, <laughs> what do you think about articulation? Do you have a similar view with that or not? No. Do I think it's crucial to, like, ultimate success for this? Yes, I do. Um, but it is so much trickier than what it sounds like. Yes. On a surface level, it sounds like it should be such an easy thing to do to put these teachers together from, you know, their middle school program to their high school program and have a conversation about, well, what everybody is doing when, and that is kind of how curriculum maps were born. Um, but as soon as you have a changeover in staff, then you have a shift in all of that because, you know, there has to be some changes. You can't keep the yeah. exact same curriculum map forever. And all of those things are done at a local level. And so in, in each and every district, you have, you know, their own philosophy on what kids should learn at the, at the beginning to the end of a program. And, um, you know, in many ways, it should be constantly changing as, you know, as we change as individuals, as kids and, and their generations are changing. Um, and that's where when you start thinking about doing that at a national level, you know, on the one hand, it's. It sounds fantastic. On the other hand, it scares me to pieces because yes. I would hate for classroom teachers to lose their essence of, of individuality right. and what they as, as individuals bring to the table because their own cultural experiences should always be infused into what right. they're teaching right. today. And you can't put that on a curriculum map because no other no. teacher is going to no. be able to replicate no. what that teacher can provide the students. Right. So so important, but it is such a difficult thing to do. Technology has been a piece that can really help. Um, for example, online professional learning communities, um, connecting people through social media like Twitter, right. Facebook, etc. Um, because they can they can get a glimpse into other people's classrooms. Teachers, I have seen some changes in the past probably five to seven years or so, and that they, they're finally opening up to sharing what's inside their classroom and what they are doing and celebrating themselves. Yes, all of much, them. much better than it used to be. Yes. That didn't used to happen. It used yes. to be more of an environment where teachers went in their classroom and they shut the door and they did what they did. Yes. And I think it is, it is such to the betterment yes. of the profession when they, they put themselves out there both as a, a kind of self-declared leader in some ways of being willing to share and being open for feedback because that's how they as individuals will grow and improve when, yes. they, when they put themselves out there and they hear both compliments and you know, elements of, of growth um, for themselves, but also it, it's how they become advocates for themselves and for their students, and that's how we're going to move forward. Well said. Wonderful.
Now, what about the future of uh, world language study and, and, and your global initiative and things? That, where are we going with that? Um, well, for now, um, you know, we're, we're going to continue to move forward. We're going to hopefully continue to see our dual language immersion programs grow. We're going to continue to see world language teachers get support um, so that they feel confident in what they're doing in the classrooms so that we have, um, you know, more teachers happier and sticking with it longer. Um, so hopefully we'll be able to, to grow in that retention aspect of great world language teachers and hopefully encourage students to move into the world language field as their university choice of study so that, um, you know, we have these vibrant, enthusiastic personalities entering the field as new and budding teachers because they bring so much and they have so much to offer. Um, and at the same time, all of that energy and enthusiasm, that all translates to students in the classroom from kindergarten to 12th grade and beyond when the teachers who are leading that environment and they are that facilitator of the classroom and they're excited and they are giving it their all each and every day, the kids are going to be excited. And when they're in a proficiency-based classroom and they are speaking and they leave the classroom speaking the language from, you know, the first day to the last day of whichever level they start, whichever level they end, the students are going to keep coming back. So when you talk about student retention and we, we think about, you know, growing the profession, that's where it comes from, is making sure that students are getting what they need in each of our classrooms every day and that they feel the same level of confidence and um, excitement about what they're well, learning. Absolutely. And one of the th interesting things about language learning is that people come into the, the students in the classrooms, at, they certainly are there, number one, for two reasons probably. One is to listen to the language, and the other especially is to speak the language. The, the, the world language and uh, to be able to do that. And I think sometimes, uh, again, uh, this idea of, of, of competency and speaking, et cetera, et cetera, is hugely important because uh, that's why kids are in the class. I mean, yeah. they're, they're not coming into the class just to take grammar tests, right? Or <laughs> to take any test. You know, they really want to speak, you know, to talk and talk and learn how to talk. And uh, I think you, you said it well about the, the proficiency and uh, the, the idea of, of being able to use language. Um, what, about, what about your two favorite um, countries to visit? And I have a feeling one of them is probably Spain. Is that right? <laughs> that, that is definitely a favorite place to go. And that just comes from, you know, I spent a year of my life there and had just an amazing, amazing experience and a wonderful relationship with my host mom um, that, you know, I would hope everyone would have a similar experience. And uh, another kind of favorite country, if you will, I've, I've not had a, a country that I've been to that I would say I, I wouldn't go back to, but I would say there is one other country that holds a special place in my heart, and that is Ecuador. Um, not only does that country have just amazing landscapes and, and it encompasses all of it. It has everything from beach to mountains to forests to, um, you know, to city life, the whole bit. But the people that I encountered in the country of Ecuador were some of the most just giving and sweet and just 
wonderful and accommodating people that I have ever encountered. And so from that aspect, as, as a person who loves the interpersonal interaction, um, that country will always hold a special place. So, Jill, you have been an incredible guest, and you have been wonderful and beautiful ideas, and I'm sure the listeners are going to go away with many, many ideas. And I hope especially that we get some uh, future language teachers in college studying uh, to to be language teachers that they listen to this uh, broadcast and, um, and, and teachers too, because you're, your beautiful ideas. And, uh, I congratulate you for all you've done in the profession. You've been incredible and, uh, just wonderful, wonderful representatives. So, uh, thank you so much for being on the show and I wish you a wonderful week and a wonderful success in your fairly new job all the time is flying it's just like yep. it's the other day when you got that job and now time is just moving on so uh but thank you so much and uh, you know we'll be in contact again and maybe you can be on the show again later down the road okay and uh, thank you so it's been an honor to have you as a guest so thank you so much and have a wonderful day okay and thank you for, and the, all thank for you. the listeners a gracias por estar con nosotros and uh, thank you for being with us. And, uh, uh, and Jill's going to say something in Espanol, que habla super bien en Espanol. Jill's <laughs> going to give you a little um, tipo de despedida, okay? Muchísimas gracias a todos que están escuchando a, a esta entrevista. Me gustó muchísimo y ha sido un placer. Bueno, gracias, eh? Y muy, muy amable. And now, uh, one of the other things uh, for the listeners, we have uh, some uh, special programs coming up in the near future. So please stay, stay tuned, and uh, we hope that you'll join us on our next show. Thank you for being with us, and uh, have a wonderful week. Y hasta pronto. Estamos ya en contacto, okay? Nos vemos. Bye. Bye.